think the ultimate, there's two ultimate contrarian plays right now, and that's... Because I already owned a lot, and I loaded up more right after that discovery. Exactly what we were just talking about, the market didn't realize it right away. I met with 30 companies, so I can't remember all the details by any means, but I like first movers, so uh, I enjoy talking to... So yesterday, actually I was talking to David near the end of the day, and there was a couple companies that did stand out, and one in particular. I was like, you know what, this, it's really interesting. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and I'm at the Beaver Creek Precious Metals Summit, and I'm hosting a roundtable with David Erfley, the junior miner junkie, Nick, the mining book guy, and Brian Lenny of JuniorStockReview.com. We had a roundtable like this at the PDAC, and I like to gather these gentlemen, uh, pull you together so that the listeners that are listening to us right now can um, gain some, some of the experience that we've experienced today. So, for example, one thing I thought as I reflected on meeting with 30 different management teams over two days. This is the end of the second day of the conference. Um, I remember talking to one CEO and asking about the financial situation of the company and they had so much money in the bank and it was a long-term development project and he didn't have any cares in the world when it came to finances. And then I talked to another junior miner that had about a half a million dollars in the bank, an explorer, and he didn't know where the next 1.5 was coming from. So those are just the expression on their face when you talk to them. Those are some of the, the, the tangibles that you pick up when you're here. So I'd like to start off the conversation by talking about what are some of the key intangible or tangibles that you picked up as you talked with people today. And Brian, how about we start with you? Sure. Um, yeah, there does seem to be a diverse um, cross-section of, of companies here. Um, but I, in my experience, I've done 20 meetings so far. Um, I've actually, I, most of the guys, probably 90% have been well cashed up. Um, and the other guys were in the process of raising. And, uh, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I had another conversation with, you know, how the market is and are we seeing uh, a turn? And, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, still getting a mixed kind of view of, of things with these companies. So, Nick, any thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, after doing a bunch of one-on-ones this year and in previous years, I feel like there's a bit of a pattern with some of the companies that really have this pitch that that seems almost a little artificial. I mean, they're almost too good at it. Versus the companies where um, sometimes, well, sometimes they're just poor at presenting and, and that's a problem, but sometimes you get into that technical information and I might not pick up on everything and they're not the best presenters, but it's authentic and they're not trying to oversell me uh, to any degree. And so there were a few of those, you know, this time. And then there were a few from previous times where I, I know that they tried to pitch me too much and those companies didn't work out. So I think it's really interesting to, 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 to start to see those types of patterns at these one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. And we are outside, I want to say for the listener, we're 
outside there was some rain so we're under a tent so if you hear some wind or some ambient noise just know that that's where this recording is taking place david what are your thoughts well, it's nice to see smiles in meetings instead of frowns and, and frustration and frustration in, in people's uh, presentations and, and, and uh, how they're presenting their projects. But um, I'm not seeing a lot of companies that I'm unfamiliar with because I have subscribers that I have to keep up to date on the, on the companies that I'm invested in, and they're all here. If they're not here officially, then they've attended and I get to, I get to meet with them. So... Um, but um, as far as the people that I'm talked to in the, in the capital markets, um, capital markets are rewarding very good projects, and they're not rewarding projects that aren't so good. So um, it's, it's, it's a bull market for some, and it's a bear market for others. And let's face it, a lot of these projects don't deserve to be financed. So, um, but uh, what I'm picking up is uh, we had a bear market from 2012 to 2015. The, the GDX was down 84%. You know, I mean, a lot of people lost a lot of money. And then 2016 comes along and we have a six-month burst. Capital markets get excited and they go full bore and they get burned. So now they want to see this $1,400 floor sustained for at least a couple quarters, I think. And then I think by January, they're going to loosen up the purse, purse strings a little more for to go down the food chain in the juniors. Mm -hmm. David, you mentioned to me and you said to me and the others a couple times, how do you like speed dating minors? You know, when you do <laughs> 30, 30 minute uh, meetings in two days, if you don't focus, it can become a blur. You know, and I, when I exchanged emails with you beforehand and I let you know how many I was going to meet with, I said, how many are you meeting with? And you're meeting with <laughs> not 30. <laughs> so, um, and Nick, you wanted to talk about this point. How do you utilize a conference like this where it's a one-on-one -on -one conference, not so much a seminar, although, although there are company presentations that are here. Maybe start with you, David. What's the strategy of how you approach this conference to utilize it to the fullest? Well, um, I make sure to try to get as much sleep as I possibly can, um, not to have uh, a meeting too early in the morning, although I, I, didn't, I, I wasn't successful on that tomorrow. I got a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm regretting that one. But um, basically, just try to stay focused. Don't try to do too much. Um, you know, have a, have a set of questions that, that are in your mind, what you want to ask, um, because, uh, you know, you might forget some some very important information that you want to know if you don't if you don't go in prepared so um, I take a look at the presentations of everybody that I'm going to meet and then I have a, a, a little set of questions that I want to ask or that'll that'll trigger me to ask some other things and um, it's yeah it, it, it can be it, it can be a blur they can all run in together but if you do that and stay focused um, then it's good because I, I get this is my favorite conference by far I get the most work done at this conference there's no booths you have to run around trying to chase people to try to get to try to talk to them the the, the, the conference is, is is run exceptionally well the venue is you can't beat it it's beautiful and um every every single meeting i have they show up i show up i never have a problem with 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 nobody showing up and 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 uh scheduling uh conflicts even this year there was a there was a plane out of vancouver that was that was uh, that was canceled, and a lot of heavy hitters were on that plane, and they were rerouted to Montreal, rerouted to Toronto. And they didn't get here till you know early in the morning the next day, and it was it, they had to cancel a lot of meetings and rescheduled them. And each meeting that I had rescheduled went off without a hitch. 
Excellent. Nick, what are your thoughts? Well, I echo what David has to say about this being my favorite conference and that the scheduling is like superior to anything else. They're, they're always on top of it. But it's not really the one-on-ones that I like the best. It's the, you know, mixing in enough one-on-ones, which are always positive, but just hanging around the breakfast area, um, you know, sitting wherever you want at lunch, cocktail hour, or just in between meetings, hanging out. And the types of people you meet are such high quality. Uh, I like meeting a lot of other small fund managers from around the world that I don't see at other conferences. Uh, Sometimes just, you know, some somebody from a company that I didn't really want the full pitch, but you can do it in a casual manner for five or 10 minutes. And so I just think this conference, wherever you turn, it's such a nice environment and that you um, you get just such a high quality, like ratio of high quality people to just random people out, out there. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Uh, this is my first time here, and uh, I certainly don't have it figured out. <laughs> I did uh, the one-on-ones at PDAC, and I really booked it hard. And I thought I did 16 in one day, and then I did 10 the last two days, and it's still a little bit too much for me in terms of by the end of the day, uh, the, those last couple meetings are kind of hazy for me. Uh, but I have taken good notes, so I, I, I lo- I, I'm looking forward to going back and, and looking at them. Um, but... I haven't found that you know secret sauce when it comes to how to schedule it that fits my kind of uh, way of doing things. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. The company is focused on its Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, where there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver. The Candelaria Mine historically was the highest grade silver producer in Nevada, generating over 68 million ounces of silver at an amazing average production rate of over 1,250 grams per ton. The project has tremendous expansion potential as past drilling has outlined deeper, high-grade silver targets for future drill programs. Silver One is highly leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. How do you guys approach, okay, you meet a company for the first time or you get more in-depth into their value proposition? Sometimes there's a sell-off in September, right? There could be. What are your expectations for a potential sell-off in gold, the precious metals, and the miners? And would you, if you like a company, are you going to put it on the watch list and maybe wait for a for an entry point? What are your thoughts uh, regarding this? Maybe we'll start with you, Dave. Yeah, um, I have a watch list for myself and my subscribers of, of 20 companies. Um, I'm currently invested in about 25 right now, and um, I have a few that are that are on the chopping block. So um, once I chop those, I'll have some cash, and then I'll, what I'd like to do is is really keep an eye on my watch list companies. And um, there's always there's, there's not always, but usually a fishing line sell off in in a company that I like at some point due to uh, sector weakness or maybe short-term bad news for the company that is that is something that is not to, that you don't have to worry about in the short term the, lo- the long-term story is still good uh, that's always good a good uh, time to get in get into a stock is when you see a fishing line sell-off that it's that short-term news that short-term bad news and not long-term and um, yeah it's um, uh, as far as gold and silver is concerned you know um, I think the GDX has really strong support at 26. 
um, which, which, which equates to, I think, uh, around, 14, around 1480 gold, 1475 gold. But uh, if, if that area is lost, I wouldn't be surprised to see 1420, 1425 gold seen and maybe that gap at 24 in the GDX filled. But I think if that happened, it would be uh, a sharp reversal there. Um, I, don't, I don't see it going much lower. I don't expect that to happen, but you got to prepare, prepare for it psychologically and keep some cash on hand just in case that does happen. Because you want to be in the frame of mind where you're like, I hope this does happen because I'm comfortable with my positions. They look good for the long term. I really don't care what happens in the short term to them. And I have this cash on the side that I'm hoping to see that in the gold price. And I'm hoping to see that fishing line sell off in one or two of these companies that I really like that I missed the first time around. So it's nice to have a plan. Nick, now you're often fully invested a lot of times, if I recall from our past <laughs> conversations. But what are your thoughts regarding this? Yeah, and, and yes, uh, full disclosure, I am pretty much full, <laughs> fully invested right now, though a few months ago I wasn't. Well, my take is a little different because many of the companies that I either know or that are new are more explorers where, you know, gold price moving up is great, but it's not a requirement. But something I'm thinking more and more about is I can see the growing interest in explorers. And yet, when there's a discovery, there's still often a day or two at a minimum that you could still buy in where it hasn't really been fully realized by the market. And I can tell even with the interest here, that's not the main focus of a lot of the Beaver Creek people. They're still more focused on the developers. And so I just based on companies I've already met and a few that I will meet, some have definitely moved up my list where I'm not buying them right now. I I'll hope I'll have a little more cash available soon, but I think there's going to be plenty of post-discovery opportunities where because they're moved up on my list, I will be ready to pounce on them before other people do if I can recognize that it's going to lead to an economic discovery. Mm -hmm. How about you, Brian? Uh, I, when it comes to trying to guess where the metal price is headed, I don't put much stock into my ability to do that. Um, so, you know, every company is different and there's a number of different catalysts and things that could affect where the, the price might go. Um, but for me, if, if I like the company and I like how the catalyst or how it sets up, I'll buy um, and not really worry if there's a correction or not. And uh, that's how I, I try to do my thing. And it doesn't matter if we're in a bull or a bear. Um, kind of staying neutral has always, you know, helped me be consistent. And that's what I'm, I'm most uh, focused on. I was a little surprised about the the emotive state i thought people would be more excited about fifteen hundred dollar gold but actually when i talked to a lot of developers they were using much lower numbers in their peas and they weren't even really trying to bill up the fifteen hundred dollar gold and what this means for the irr and the npv so that was something that was surprised me i don't know if that's indicative of something larger uh, you know with sent sentiment if they aren't convinced it's going to hold or they need to see you know four more months of above $1,500 gold. Um, what are you guys' thoughts here and what did you experience in your one-on-ones with uh, the expectation of management? Brian? Yeah, sure. I, you're exactly right. That's, that's what I was seeing. Um, from my perspective, even though I don't try to guess where the metal price is headed, I honestly don't foresee a situation moving forward where we don't have, let's say, higher than $1,400 gold. Um, the world's just becoming more chaotic and I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Whether, you know, Germany released 30-year bonds um, with negative interest rate 
if you think about what that means, <laughs> I, I think you'd say, you know, there's there's something wrong financially. With I the, want a negative rate mortgage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the global economy. And, you know, or then, you know, Trump tweets this morning about, you know, the, everybody at the Fed is dumb and they need to be at least 0% uh, interest rates or lower. Um, when these kind of things are happening and the trade wars, I, I, I only see strong gold or precious metal prices ahead. Um, so I, you know, in, in that case, I have no problem if I see fifteen hundred dollar gold or if somebody presents me that, because I personally do see, you know, that moving forward. The so I, I had a few developer one on ones and I saw some presentations and I agree that they seem to be around twelve hundred or twelve fifty. I think it's more of a function of the uh, the audience they're looking at and there are a lot of financiers here or a lot of a lot of people that aren't the retail type guys who are going to buy your stock but they need realistic expectations to fund your company but especially cuz M&A has been so sparse they're just hesitant to be too optimistic about that that's that's my own opinion um, I haven't really talked to anyone about it but I think it's it's of a great example of a difference between this type of conference versus like a metals investors forum where it's very retail oriented and you'd probably be more likely to be talking about those higher gold prices. What about you, Dave? Well, there, there's a few reasons. Um, one, uh, the capital markets really haven't uh, loosened up that much yet. So they want to present uh, a lower uh, cost basis number. And they also understand that when these guys go out looking for uh, takeovers, they want high margin projects. They've already got low margin projects that they purchased back in 2010 and 2011. So they want high margin projects. So uh, these developers understand that uh, they need to use a base case of, of you know, 1250 to 1350. If they go any higher than that, then they're not, they're gonna be passed over by these guys. You know, I mean, they need to replace ounces with, with uh, high margin deposits. Let's get to companies. So we met with companies. Who stood out? Dave, you want to share any? Or did you meet with any that aren't currently in your portfolio? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not yet. Um, a standout, I, I can give you uh, a standout growth-oriented producer, which is my one of my favorites right now, is uh, Taranga Gold. Um, I think uh, their, their, their Wanyan um, uh, deposit, I think I'm, I, I don't know, the uh, mine that they just uh, came online. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly in, in Burkina Faso. They, they came on uh, under budget and, and, uh, and, and early as well. So they came in so early that they have to worry about commissioning during the rainy season, which they're, they're, you know, which, which they're gonna have to deal with. So, um, the, 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 and they also have another uh, project in, uh, in Burkina Faso, Golden Hill, that's probably gonna be their third mine. And um, they've also got an opportunity, maybe, for uh, an acquisition of a of uh, the Masawa mine, which is which is right next door to their uh, Sabadola mine in in um, Senegal. It, it, it's also uh, so that that is a very a real possibility that, that they end up purchasing that asset. Which th th their plan is to be a a five hundred thousand ounce per year producer in the next few years. But if they end up purchasing that asset, they can get there next year. So uh, it's a very uh, exciting company. Um, they've got a really good share structure. They've got a billionaire that owns 22% of the company. They've got major access to capital. So I really like that one on the growth-oriented producer side. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. 
Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Orin's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Orin has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSE under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. Nick? I'll, I'll give a couple, um, two that I don't currently own. Uh, the first one, FPX Nickel, I probably wouldn't have gone if I hadn't talked to Brian a little bit before the <laughs> conference. And I'm really glad I did because, um, you know, Martin Turen had one of the most compelling presentations. It was relatively simple. Um, you learn a lot about nickel supply and demand in the presentation, but he just had some very interesting metrics and compelling, you know, comparisons compared to other nickel projects out there. So nickel is something I don't really own anything in the space, but, you know, that that was a great one. The second one goes back to um, some of the comments I made earlier. Uh, so Antipa uh, Minerals, a company that I have done a YouTube video a few years ago on, it's AZY on the ASX. It's their first year here. And I had said in that old video that maybe they should like go to Beaver Creek, and, and I'm glad they did, and it's representative of a lot of other ASX companies coming up here. Their uh, managing director, Roger Mason, I had, I had never talked to him on the phone, and he was a technical guy, and he was not trying to sell me or anything, but it was just so impressive you know, what he went through in a 25-minute period. After I had researched so much about the company, I learned so much more, and but at the same time, um, th there's a, you know, over 2 billion shares out. So I was thinking of Dave where that would be an immediate <laughs> pass for him. But you know, this, this is an interesting situation where a lot of people, they would pass right away, but I'm willing to give it a shot because I think they're even more focused on the really big discoveries. And it had a little hype because Rio Tinto um, made a discovery next door and, um, and Greatland Gold uh, that's listed in the UK also made a discovery, but they've been there the longest. Um, they, they've had done some stuff, but they have the best land in this part of Western Australia. So I'm really glad they're here. Um, and, and again, representative of Australian companies coming and really good technical work. Mm -hmm. Brian? Uh, so I met with 20 companies that I basically knew nothing about uh, over the last two days. And, you know, a 30-minute meeting with the companies, I'm sort of reluctant to say, like, this stood out or that didn't. And I'll give an example of why. So yesterday, actually, I was talking to David near the end of the day, and there was a couple companies that did stand out. And one in particular, I was like, you know what, this, it's really interesting. And just before this, I wanted to be sure, a little more background, and I'm glad I did, because in that 30-minute conversation, they failed to tell me that they have a stream on the, on the project, and it drastically changes how I view. Um, and that's even without doing any, I just did a you know napkin type calculation and it's a big difference between what i thought might be the, the profit margins to what it actually is uh second to that i had a great conversation this morning with uh white gold um Yukon. i yeah the yukon i i was uh i didn't quite understand the story previously um but i had a chance to talk to sean ryan and i, I for me personally he's Probably he's, he may be one of my most the favorite people to, to talk about exploration with. Those that haven't, I highly suggest that you do. Um, this guy is self-taught. 
the way that he looks at it, the the way his uh, ground truthing company works, um, I think they're they've got to be near the top and how they they execute um, and you know uh, most efficient with the, the dollars that they spend. Uh, next to that, because of that efficient process, they identified a pretty interesting target that um, that I think they just released last week um, from soil sampling, and uh, you know it, it could be interesting to see when they get the drills on there. But yeah, that's that's one company at least that I thought kind of stood out, and I understand much better than I did previously. Mm-hmm. I met with thirty companies, so I can't remember all the details by any mean. But I like first movers, so uh, I enjoyed talking to Japan Gold. Corp because they're a first mover there in Japan and they've just accumulated such a huge land package and I would not be able to tell you all the details right now from memory but um, there were there were many quality companies but that one as a, as a unique first mover I thought uh, was very unique as we conclude here uh, the rest of the year so we're in mid-September and uh, what are your expectations for the rest of the year and uh, how m- might you navigate your own portfolio as a result David well, um, I think the ultimate there's two ultimate contrarian plays right now, and that's that's uh, uranium stocks, which which tend to bottom in, in November, and um, cop anything copper and zinc's being sold. It's already being sold for tax loss, and um, I've seen I'm beginning to see some attractive valuations in some in copper and zinc plays. Um, like I said, you have to be the ultimate contrarian to 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 to, to end up slapping some money down on, on a few of those plays right now because this trade war doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. But during tax loss season, you know, um, you might get some, some good deals on some copper and zinc plays and, and, and some uranium plays in November. Mm-hmm. Nick? So b- between now and the end of the year? Oh, so I guess I have to go in a little bit of promotional mode uh, <laughs> with a company that Anybody who knows me probably realize I, I own Osino Resources, and that is a big reason I don't have much cash available because I already owned a lot, and I loaded up more right after that discovery. Exactly what we were just talking about. The market didn't realize it right away. And they had a great presentation here, and honestly, I haven't seen any other discoveries that are as exciting as that right now. And at the same time, I can still tell it's not getting the attention that developers in Africa are getting. I sat through a bunch of presentations and a lot of the large developers, which are pretty good, had um, had the best, um, uh, uh, I guess you could say, attendance. And Osino had decent attendance, but the questions were really interesting. People were interested in Namibia and it's, and it's you know, very early. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. Maybe I will sell some of my, my shares in, in that company if it goes up further, but I'm completely biased. And, uh, you know, if I haven't seen anything else as exciting as that at the moment. And uh, Osino is a sponsor of this <laughs> podcast, so I approve those statements. <laughs> Brian? Um, for me, I don't really have a, a specific metal that I'm focused on, but I think... You know, given my answer earlier, I think the precious metals are going to be where it's at in terms of um, drill results and, and profits. Um, next to that, I think nickel is, is really interesting. And I'm only invested in the one company that Nick brought up, FBX. Um, I've scoured the markets for nickel companies in terms of developers. I honestly, I don't think it gets any better than FPX, and there's a number of reasons why I think that. But yeah, precious metals and nickel are, are I would be at the top of my list. Excellent. You've been listening to 
three uh, full-time mining investors. Check out Brian at juniorstockreview.com, Nick at theminingbookguy.com, miningbookguy.com, and David at juniorminerjunkie.com. This is Bill Powers from Beaver Creek signing off. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education Podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.